So first off, Cassie, I just have to ask, how are you doing? <laughs> oh, how am I doing? Oh boy, I have a lot of feelings right now. So many feelings. Have you ever had this crazy of the last 24 hours? Not as far as buying tickets to events. Hell no, absolutely not. So the last time I was buying tickets for MCR shows, you went on fucking Ticketmaster, you clicked the button as soon as it went on sale, and you got your tickets. And you got your tickets. What What's the most you've ever paid for an MCR ticket before yesterday? Before yesterday? Oh my god. Absolutely fucking nothing, man. Like they used to be at most, you know, 40, 50 bucks, right? Right. I was talking to my friend yesterday about... She was like, I feel like we used to get pit for like $40. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was the exact price, but that feels right. That Right around there, because I was going back and looking at older tickets, and like, there was there was one for the Blink-182 My Chemical Romance, like the Honda Civic Tour or whatever, and I think that was like 40 bucks. Yeah, or that one was like, I think maybe in the 70s, and at the time we were like, oh shit. Is that, and that was like ridiculous. <laughs> Puts a lot into perspective in 2020. It sure does. <laughs> so first off, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, this is Cassie Wit, otherwise known as Poison and Fire or Cassie the Venomous. Uh, Cassie and I go way, way back. If it wasn't for her, I would have never gotten a job at Alt Press, and she literally pulled our entire friend group together, pretty much. <laughs> oh, wow. She, uh, she was the web editor at Alt Press from when was that? When did you start doing that? Um, I think it was 2012 to 2015 that I was web editor, and then 2015 to 2016, I was the APTV manager. Right, exactly. So way back in the day, the scene blog days, Cassie was running everything. I mean, she was setting the standard for everything that the scene blog's property is at, under the gun, alter the press, any of those guys, pup fresh. She was setting the standard for all of that. And at the same time, she was the leader of the MC Army. And I don't care what you say or anyone else says, there's no one else who's the leader of that shit. See, here's the thing is I hate hierarchies and fandoms. I okay. hate being like someone is better than someone else because I don't believe so. Like if you're a 12 year old who just started listening to MCR yesterday, like you're my little homie. Like uh-huh. I feel like, okay, in the regard that I am welcoming and a source of guidance. Okay, I'll take that. Definitely leader in the sense, not in the sense that you are better than anyone, but leader in the sense that. I think you have more information than even the band at some points. <laughs> I literally do. Can I tell you a story real quick? Go for it. That's what this entire episode's about. <laughs> so at one point, I believe it was in 2011 when I met the band, I was talking to their um, then manager, Lauren Valencia, who has since passed away, mm. unfortunately, about some audio files that I have. And I told her that I had the original recording of... Um, Fuck, what is it called? Uh, Sister to Sleep. Okay. And I was like, yeah, it's this just like shitty live recording. And it was this bootleg I got and Frank's ears perked up. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's the only recording of that song. Can you send it to me? Oh, my God. <laughs> of course that happened. Isn't that wild? I love that. That's exactly what I think of when I think of you and Mike and McGraw Romance. Again, thank you so much for coming on. We are going to have a wild ride on this episode. And we are going to break down everything from My Chemical Romance's breakup on March 22nd, 2013, 
to today. The craziest ticket experience that emo and scene music has ever had, which in a snapshot, when you say that happened in 2020, it really makes it seem like emo is thriving, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I tweeted yesterday that when MCR thrives, I thrive. That completely lines up. Okay, we're going to try and keep a pace here, but I know we're going to go off on quite a few tangents, and I, I want you to say everything that you got to say, but we are going to start with the breakup on March 22nd, 2013. A little bit before that time, the band, I can't remember which member, it might have been Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, s- revealed that they were working on new music, so they had plans to make a new album at that point. Unpack that for me. Yeah, so they had sort of hinted at that. I think it really all came out when Gerard was interviewed by Kevin Smith. Like, those two dork out together in the most beautiful. (laughs) But um, he, at that time, revealed that the album was called The Paper Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, revealed that it was this really, really heavy concept about a support group of parents who had lost their children whose children had died and the way they were coping with it was imagining that their kids were sort of in this forest being like hunted by this witch and they were still out there and they could save them is kind of what I remember them talking about so there was yeah this like witchy thing going on even then but this like heavy heavy concept okay and they were writing music for it it wasn't just an idea that gerard had right no yeah they were they were actively writing music for it okay and what led to the breakup exactly just to catch everyone up they've never quite talked about exactly what it was basically that they were kind of burnt out and it wasn't fun anymore mm-hmm. and they weren't you know, loving it the way that they once did. And Gerard had always, 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 always talked about the band in a very fatalistic kind of way where, you know, when the band wasn't needed or when the band stopped serving its purpose, they would stop. Right. And they had always had this level of integrity with that. Like, you know, we know this band's going to end and it's going to end when you don't need us anymore. So they kind of stuck with that. Like, no one expected it. No one was quite like, oh, fuck, they're going to break up soon. I mean, some people were getting that vibe. Uh But at the same time, we never thought it would actually happen. Like, no matter what Gerard was saying, like, oh, this band's going to, it's going to reach its time someday. It's going to go. Like, he was telling us that shit back in 2004. Exactly. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, the band's going to end someday, guys. Right. He was already teasing it. But that that was my question, because I one of the reasons why I had you on the show is that, as I've said back when Matt and I were first doing it, I was never the most like diehard My Chemical Romance fan growing up. I mean, totally understood all of their significance. I love those records, but I was never in the trenches for them like other people were. And I wanted to ask you if it was, like, that unexpected or did it feel like it was coming? So it sounds like it was pretty unexpected from everyone. For most people, I think the people who had been paying attention to them for a long time, like myself, I think I was kind of in denial. But you could Mm. sort of see it in their last performances that something wasn't right. Got it. So the band breakup 
2013. There is a time period where every one of them goes solo in some way, whether it's Gerard with like a full-on kind of major label rollout, or it's Frank who does the more DIY stuff, or it's Ray who just does kind of completely random stuff. What was this time period like as a fan? Was it exciting? Was everyone kind of still following everything? Set the scene for me in a, in a post-My Chemical Romance world. Well, I kind of had this weird, fortunate experience shortly after they broke up where within a couple weeks after, or a couple weeks after, like a month after, I ended up being in the same rooms with Frank and Gerard. No way. Yeah, it was very strange. So, um... Death Spells, which was James DeWeese and Mm -hmm. Frank's uh, sort of hardcore electronic industrial sort of product project. Mm -hmm. It was like industrial sort of noise. It's pretty dope. Everyone should listen to it if you haven't. It's kind of weird and obscure. But uh, (laughs) they were opening for Mindless Self-Indulgence with these songs that no one had ever heard before. And it was just like this brutal, cool experience. And I went to see them in Buffalo with Jason Pettigrew, the editor-in-chief of AP, one of my best friends. And after the show, I actually sat down with Frank and I kind of didn't know what to say. I don't remember exactly what I said, uh-huh. except like, hey, like I was, you know, obviously really sad about what happened, but I understand sort of that it had to end on you know, what, like a a note that made sense for you guys. And I think he said, yeah, like, I'm really sad. I was really sad about it, too. And shortly after that, Death Spells was on that Mindless Self-Indulgence tour for a little while. And then there was a different opener by the time they got to Cleveland. And (laughs) I also went to that show with Jason. And Jason goes, hey, I have a surprise for you. Okay. And I'm like, okay what so we get into house of blues and he's texting someone and suddenly fucking gerard way oh my gosh in front of my face like and he's like oh hi cassie that's his voice that i do Uh (laughs) (laughs) and i was like fucking what what is happening right now what was he doing in cleveland mindless self-indulgence play with gerard and oh my gosh hung out with them after the show and i kind of just really didn't know what the fuck to say about anything i just remember him talking to mindless about making a sandwich and he (laughs) david bowie references and calling his sandwich glam and cheese like (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, of course. That that sounds like the most accurate conversation that they would have, too. Shout out to Mindless Self-Indulgence and Jimmy for existing yes. kind of parallel to the scene. But before I get off on that tangent, what the hell was Gerard doing in fucking Cleveland? <laughs> so at the time, My Chemical Romance, or n- not My Chemical Romance, um, Alternative Press were doing, I believe it was their 30th? In- no, it was their 300th issue. Oh, and so was- yes. The- and that was, was when the like, paper stock changed, right? And the size got smaller yeah. where it was more handheld. I remember yeah, getting that issue been. as a fan. And I was like, oh, this is dope. It's so much easier to carry around at school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, at school. Um, he, Yeah, so he came in to meet with – the next day he came in to meet with our art director and talk about his vision for reimagining the cover. I think the original concept was that – 
we wanted to retake pictures of the bands in the same poses. Mm-hmm. But he was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to like redo this shit. I'm going to make it like a multimedia art project. I'm going to put a fucking weird short story in there. Like, I'm going to go in. Uh-huh. So he, yeah, the next day I w- wake up in the morning and for some reason I decide to take caffeine pills. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting at my desk listening to Balzac, which is this Japanese horror punk band, basically the Japanese misfits. Okay. And suddenly Gerard Way waltzes into my fucking office and he sits at the desk where Matt Crane used to sit in my office with me, surrounded by posters with his face on them. Oh my God. I'm wearing a Danger Days jacket and we're just like talking about how I took trucker speed. Oh my god, Cassie. So this was, yeah, this was like 2013, like April, May-ish. I end up in the same right after. Yeah, and that day he ended up, we, (laughs) poor thing. So Gerard has lost some hearing in one of his ears over the years. And um, he wanted to play me some demos from Hesitant Alien. Okay. Yeah, and we started playing them on my computer in my office, and he came and he like sat in a chair right next to my computer, and he like leaned his little ear over, and he was like, "Do you have better speakers somewhere?" (laughs) Oh my gosh, he couldn't even hear. Couldn't hear it that well. I think he like wanted me to get the whole vibe though. So we went to. I fucking ended up in Jason's office listening to his music while he paced around the room. And I think I, like, just didn't know what to say. So I kind of looked at him and smiled and said, approved. <laughs> approved. You didn't know what, what you couldn't find the words. <laughs> I couldn't find the words. Yeah. And then he tweeted later, approved. And I was like, oh, shit. No he thought I was way. real for saying that. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> like so cool. Gerard, as, if, as if Gerard Way needs my fucking approval. Well, if he needs anyone from the fandom, I think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. That's a great story though, and I know you have so many of them. So, moving forward a little bit. So the band is broken up. It's solo time for everyone or it's just time to go away and have some time alone. Let's fast forward to 2017 because okay. 2017 is as far as we know the earliest that or as far as I'm aware of proof that they started working on a comeback is that correct so every year the band would do like a an annual barbecue where yes. they would yes. get together i forgot about that yeah so it wasn't the first time they were talking and one of them alluded at one point that they have a group chat which is oh, funny oh right you know i va- now that you mention it i vaguely remember it because i've written about those barbecues before <laughs> yeah man um but they posted after the when they were they posted literally the day of the return show the following on instagram with a picture of them sitting on the circle in a circle on the uh studio floor they said we got in a room together in 2017 we got in a room together to see what would happen a couple more jam sessions and 39 days of rehearsals later we're ready to show you what we've learned let's go (laughs) (laughs) i remember when they posted that late last year and i was like 2017 really because from 2017 to 2019 when they announced the show we had had so many false alarms so they're like public false alarms i remember there was one it was after i had been away from a 
AP, and I think we were doing a podcast, I can't exactly remember, but there was, like, some glitch in, like, the the CMS on our website or something, and someone managed to, like, get to a tour tab with nothing on it, and it just sent everyone into a frenzy. And I, there were, like, three or four times where that had happened over the years, it felt like. Yeah, at one point, like, Warner's properties on Songkick or whatever it must have been, um, we're pulling like Bruno Mars festival dates and putting them on oh like my romantic God. page. <laughs> but yeah, 2000, um, 2016, I think is important to mention before okay. 2017 because Frank got in a very terrible accident. Yes. He was on yes. tour in Australia. And I think um, a lot of people forget about that now. Yeah. It was a terrible experience. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, the way that he described what happened to him and his bandmates, his brother Evan actually got the worst of it. He was in the hospital for a very long time. But Frank was loading gear into the back of their van and a commuter bus came up and just rammed into the back of their van. And Frank ended up actually in the wheel well of the bus unbelievable story like think about how scary and terrible that is Uh, unfortunately we've documented so many you know van accidents over the years of of bands and they never get easier and and that was just a wild one because i mean you never see any of them coming but i think a lot of mcr fans the 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 casual mcr fans like myself tend to forget that he was still out on the road he was in a van. Like, he, that dude was literally still touring in a van after, you know, t- touring on one of the biggest rock tours of the world in 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. And for him to still be at ground level doing it because he wants to do it as, like, a grown, grown-ass adult, I think a lot of people forgot about that. And that to describe that situation, there was that was a crazy story for sure. Yeah, and I think, I mean... Because they, this band has always sort of referred to each other as brothers. Like, they're brothers in arms. Right. Like it's family. It's a family. And when you nearly lose a member of your family, you're kind of like, oh, fuck. Changes a lot of the perception of your relationship. Absolutely. Um, and Frank now, he, you know, he has this... Uh, He's obviously has nerve damage and, you know, he's not able to play the same, but he's fucking still playing. Like, totally. This, he was always saying, like, if I wasn't in my chem, I don't give a shit. I'd go back in a van and I'd be in a band again. Like, and he did. That's he, what did. he did. He was the one in Leathermouth, right? He was in fucking Leathermouth. <laughs> totally, totally random sidebar. I fucking loved Leathermouth. That was the punkiest, grimiest, shittiest sounding thing I think that ever came out of the My Chem camp, and I fucking love it. It was so oh much God. fun. Are we ever going to get that again? Oh, I w- he played Leathermouth songs when he was on tour with uh, the, uh, I think it was all the way back to the celebration. Really? Yeah, he played um, Fifth Period Massacre, oh and God. they uh, played on my birthday in Cleveland, and he dedicated it to me, and I fucking, like, threw hands. I was out <laughs> of control. Cassie's getting down in the pit. I love it. You, like, okay, so if you think that's grimy, you should try to find, and it's hard to find, his music with fucking Blood Nun. What is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's the most obscure shit it's i don't even 
I don't think that I've even listened to it, but I'm pretty sure it's just fucking like kind of like black metal. Oh like, my god, was that was that before my chem? That was after. It was uh, it's it's wild. Try to find Blood Nun. Okay, that that's what we're gonna be googling, and we're I'm gonna revisit that on the next episode of the show <laughs> next week. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, yeah. I'm gonna give that review. Okay, 2017. After that experience, that. Frank had. You go into 2017. We know now that that's when they started rehearsing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have in my notes here when we when we set out the show about Gerard and getting into witchcraft and how that ties into a lot of the, you know, symbols that we're seeing now and all of the kind of iconography that they have been teasing all of this comeback with. So it was around 2017 in that time where he started like kind of publicly saying that he was getting into witchcraft or what like unpack that for me i think he'd always had an interest in things like that or at least like spiritualism um sure you know ghostly otherworldly things if you couldn't guess right exactly band um but he he developed this friendship with one of his at the time one of his like role models became one of his mentors and that's grant morrison who's a comic writer and an absolute madman okay he practices a form of witchcraft called chaos magic okay and chaos magic is to sort of simplify it it's kind of like you know it's not like wicca where they worship like old gods and they have like rites and ceremonies for certain things it's kind of like you manifest your own magic in your own way. And with chaos magic, one of the major tenets is the creation of sigils. And sigils are a big part of what's happening right now. A sigil is a symbol that you create with an intent behind it. So, for instance, one of the ways you can create one is to spell out, it is my will to be on Note to Scene podcast. (laughs) Okay. And you write that out and you can cross out the repeating consonants and cross out the vowels and you end up with just letters. Right. And there are a few ways to go about making one, but basically I've, I've had a personal one for a very, very long time, but you can take the shapes of those letters and turn them into a symbol or in the case of what they've done for MCR, they've used a sort of cheat sheet which is called a witch's wheel, and it's a wheel with the English alphabet on it, and you take it and you connect it to the points of the letters that are remaining to create a shape. And that is, I'm assuming that's what kind of like the main squiggly connect the dots thing that we've been seeing around? Yeah, that's the squiggly connect the dots thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it spells out my chemical romance or like mm, Sherlins because you, you know, right, you right. Out the vowels and repeating consonants. No way. That, that is, that is fucking wild. So like <laughs> Gerard actually like tying this back into rock and roll history, you go back and you, you think of bands like Black Sabbath and you look at Ozzy Osbourne and you read all about this stuff where they were putting on a bit of an image, you know, like all of this kind of not necessarily satanic but magical references and they didn't really like believe in any of it for the most part i mean there's some some people that were but ozzy has come out many a time saying like no i would walk out of my hotel room and there would be people you know forming circles around our door like 
casting spells and shit. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't believe in any of that. Gerard <laughs> actually practices this, right? Um, so he doesn't necessarily refer to himself as a witch, but he connects to a lot of the spiritual universal aspects of it. Which is something, oddly enough, he discussed with Dustin Kinsru from Thrice. From Thrice, um, which is interesting because yeah. Thrice comes from the youth group world. <laughs> the youth group world. Yeah, but he has this podcast called Carry the Fire Podcast. And it's basically about, you know, beliefs and the way that people think. And the fun way that he, not the fun way, but the the sort of more understanding way that he put a caveat on his episode with Gerard was like, you know, this isn't witchcraft as you see in movies. Like it's not, it's not like boo spooky devil worship type stuff. Like that's not what witchcraft is. Okay. Unpack (laughs) that for me then. What is it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm, I'm looking through some Gerard tweets from like back in the day. Okay. Uh, basically around 20, 15, he said that he was doing a lot of research on witchcraft for uh, something. (laughs) Sure, right. So 2015, Gerard's researching witchcraft, and he's talking about how, like, he doesn't want to get some of the more demonic, like, so demonology and witchcraft are not the same thing. Two different things. Yeah, but he wanted to research demonology, but he was like, oh, shit, I don't want to bring these books into my house. So... When Gerard talks about witchcraft, he's talking more about communing with nature and understanding the energies that surround you and learning to manifest and connect with those in a way that empowers you and helps the world and creates a more sort of peaceful way of living. Got it. I mean, I have, uh, you know, met some friends over the years who definitely dabble in those types of things i used to live right neck right down the street from a witch store i think there's a very negative and and preconceived sentiment around the word witchcraft in and of itself i think people automatically associate it with evil and demons and the devil when it really depending on you know what type you dabble in ultimately is the betterment of oneself and relating to nature in some way that's like the tldr of it that i've gotten so far (laughs) basically one of the main tenets of wicca which is also different from witchcraft it's it's all kind of a spiritualist sort of thing but the way that you practice witchcraft is yours so if you want to be like dark and spooky about it like go for it but wicca in general their their main thing is you know if it if it harms no one do what you will you know sure okay so we know that Gerard has been essentially teasing this for five years now <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute and he has obviously done in that time a lot of research he launched a show on Netflix as I'm sure everyone that's listening to this knows called the Umbrella Academy huge success and looking from the business side which is what Note to Scene usually does, Matt and I kind of just came to the conclusion that the show has been such a success that he definitely doesn't need My Chemical Romance to come back in a monetary sense. Oh, he's, hell no. He's like, fine. He's good. <laughs> he is certainly Sorry. well off in his own uh, in his own personal position right now. And And after that show took off, I remember one night Matt called me and he goes... I just got on Netflix and the Umbrella Academy is on the top of the banner on the homepage. We're never getting my Kim back. <laughs> Aww. 
it is cool, you know, to put a cover over everything to see him willing to do it. You know, despite having such a successful time and ventures that have nothing to do with the band. Like, I always imagine, I don't, I've never met Gerard, never hung out with him. I always imagine that when he was doing, like, his comic book conventions and hanging out with all of his friends there, he would just be like, oh, yeah, I was at a band one time, but here are all my comics, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's, it's so funny because his, like, first dream in life was to work in comics, and exactly. he has such a massive passion for comics mm-hmm. that sometimes it feels like he might even take a little more pride in what he does with that because the band are very much, like, kind of they're kind of like despite the fact that they're a part of the machine they're kind of like fuck this like industry like this doesn't matter to us and whereas gerard like you know when he gets recognition in the comic world it's like oh shit like i respect these people like these people are like artists like me you know yeah it's, there's definitely i think a different sentiment around all yeah. of it and there were you were like bullshit politics and stuff i mean i'm sure that there are politics in the comics world but it seems like it's not quite the uh cesspool that the music industry is that's a perfect word for what the music industry is (laughs) (laughs) okay so gerard has been getting into his spiritual side obviously way before 2015 but definitely into 2015 which led into the reunion so you mentioned something to me when we were laying out the show that you have your own sort of witchcraft foretelling of what was to come for My Chemical Romance. So if you want to, I would love for you to unpack that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the way that my connection with witchcraft has manifested over the years is in the divinatory sense. So divinatory in foretelling things, sensing things around me that aren't apparent to someone in the physical world that type of thing. Like, for instance, when I was a kid, I used to talk to some little ghost man, apparently. Um, I've had visions of where to find things that people are missing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always had, because I, I think, obsess about MCR so closely, I've always had all these serendipitous things in my life happen surrounding them. So a lot of the practices that I do in my craft involve scrying or predicting. And so I have a pendulum and it's made of a stone that I really connect with called kyanite, which is very powerful for me. Ask Rabob about kyanite at some point. She'll let I, you know. I definitely up. will. Listeners, the first guest we had on the comeback show, Rabob, who is helping run this entire note to scene comeback, she is very much so into this as well and has been kind of teaching me exactly what all of this means. So I'm learning along with all of you. (laughs) (laughs) So I have this pendulum. And basically the way that you use a pendulum is you either hang it on something or you hold it. Uh And you, while as it's dangling, in my case, I held it with my elbow propped on a dresser so that my hand wasn't shaking. So you you use your pendulum and you're like, okay, let's establish a no. And so my pendulum swung in a circular motion. So that was my no. Mm -hmm. And okay, let's establish a yes. And it swung back and forth. And so I'm holding it and it's over my palm. Basically, I'm taking the energy from my hand that's holding it in my hand in my palm and I'm connecting with it. So I say, okay, is my chemical romance going to reunite? 
And I had established the yes as a swing back and forth. This motherfucking pendulum let me, oh my God. So it swung to the left and it stayed there. Just hung there. It hung there. Defied gravity. It defied fucking gravity. It swung to the left and it stayed the fuck there, Tyler Sharp. Okay. This was in 2017? I, yeah, I believe it was 2017. I think. I would be very interested to know how close it was to when they started rehearsals. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. When, when When you told me that when we were getting ready for the show, I was just like, I have to, we have to talk about this. People have to know that this happened. So I remember I told um I told Ash Costello from New Year's Day about it cuz she also practices witchcraft and she was like I don't know. I don't feel it, but I was like, "Girl, this is crazy. Do you not feel like this is fucking crazy?" <laughs> this is what happened. <laughs> this actually happened. I saw it with my fucking eyes. I'm not that much of a crazy person. I am kind of crazy. <laughs> not like uh, seeing things that aren't there crazy. Right. Even though I just said that I see things that aren't there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we love you, Cassie, though. So outside of that, that's a completely, you know, personal experience that you had. We had all heard booking. So booking agents love to brag behind the scenes. I fucking hate it. Yeah. They love to, you know, kind of blow their load over. This is, oh my God, you'll never believe what band's coming to, to fucking Cleveland playing wherever at over the summer We heard this for MCR for what felt like half a decade almost. Every booking agent wanted to say that they knew that MCR were coming back before they actually were. So, because I know if I heard the rumor about this comeback, I know you did. Did you believe it? Well, I heard it a million times over the year. And yes, from like, from someone who heard from someone's booking agent And I'm like, these fucking wankers, because here's the thing. Here's the fucking thing. This is the crux of, I am not full of rage. I am a very calm and (laughs) diplomatic person. But I think back to being little fucking 15-year-old Cassie loving these bands and having a bunch of like 15-year-old also into music boys who wouldn't fucking appreciate MCR making fun of me for liking MCR. And mm, and then these fuckers grew up Uh and they were like, yeah, MCR is so cool and I'm going to get cred off fucking talking about them. Yeah, I know things you don't know about my chemical romance. And I'm like, fuck you. You Straight up. Fuck you. (laughs) Straight up. Go off, Cassie. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit so hard. Go off. (laughs) totally like it i mean that's a big thing that we come back to on the show a lot is just like this weird superiority complex and how things become cool after you know they weren't for so long and a band like fallout boy is sometimes cool and sometimes incredibly uncool to like throughout their entire history and it's just complete fucking bullshit like what you like it doesn't matter how other people perceive you. Fuck that shit. I do also have to kind of sympathize, though, because back in the day, there was a very... It was very taboo, I think, for a guy to like MCR because it was perceived as, like, not masculine. It was a girl's band. So I can definitely sympathize with people who were, like, growing up feeling like they had to be ashamed to like My Chemical Romance and then later, like, being free in that. So, okay, I can understand on that level. But I... 
Yeah. You guys, like you and Rabob, you just you play both sides of the fence so well and I know you're right and I can't fucking stand it. Just be mad. <laughs> but here's the thing is I I'm so emotionally connected to this band yeah. that when someone wants to use it to get cred for themselves, it pisses me off. Absolutely. So anytime someone would give me like a smug look and be like, they're coming back, I'd be like, no, fuck you, guy. Like, right? fuck you. Exactly. Okay, so we heard these rumors time and time again. When you heard this one, you, the one that ended up being the one, you were skeptical as well, right? Yeah, so eventually I heard it from someone who I trust. And I heard it when they fucking called me at four in the morning. Okay. In- tears oh god so (laughs) this is back in june and i was like uh, and then i was in tears but i was also in shock i was like ah well that's you know that's that's four months where they could change their mind (laughs) oh my god (laughs) you know and i'm kind of just like ah like i don't know like they they probably won't like gerard has the umbrella academy and barriers just came out and this fucking Jonas Brothers rumor just happened. Oh my god. I don't even have that. I don't know how we glossed over that in our in the notes for the show, but the fucking Jonas Brothers. Are you kidding me? Well, here's the thing is they were wrong. MCR were never in New York together, which really? Frank they spoke were of. wrong. They were wrong. Interesting. Okay, I did not know that. I think everyone, including myself, just assumed when the announcement came back, they're like, holy fuck, the Jonas Brothers were right. Are you kidding me? No, no, they were they were never right. But they they sure did fucking break it for a lot of people. (laughs) Totally. That's interesting. Okay, so they were never in New York. So the Jonas Brothers didn't actually call the MCR reunion. No, they might have like called it by... (sighs) I'm giving a lot of credit to the Jonas Brothers right now. Like, <laughs> called it by being like, yeah, they were in New York. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, <laughs> so you found out from this trusted source, and you were still skeptical after it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> because I think it's just like, it was such a massive part of my life that uh-huh. I was like, ah. It's hard not to be, you know, on a, on a completely unrelated and different level. When I was working on Under Oath's reunion, I was the same way. I, it didn't matter how many people I talked to at shows. It didn't matter how much legwork I did or who I got the supposed word from. I didn't believe it, you know? Like, there was always a part of me where I was like, there's no way this is happening. They're not going to come back. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely... It was just very surreal. It didn't seem like something that could ever happen. Right. Because it was such a beloved moment and it was talked about for so long by so many people and there were so many boy who cried wolf type experiences at this point that it didn't feel like, even when you took a step back and thought about when that, if that moment ever actually did come, how you would feel about it. And there would still be like that air of uncertainty and skepticism about it, which is interesting. But so after kind of going in through the rest of 2019 when exactly did they start teasing or did they just announce there was just the day that they announced the comeback show right and that was like the beginning of it all so it was just halloween they started by like changing their facebook picture okay to a candle symbol that has become one of their like symbols for this era if you want to call it this candle emoji (laughs) <laughs> <Emoji>. <laughs> so 
Not quite the emoji, but yeah, I definitely right. added an emoji to like all my names on Oh my god. That's awesome. But, okay, so they first posted this candle logo and then gradually they started posting these other symbols and they had never used Instagram when they were active, but the My Chemical Romance Instagram came to life mm-hmm. and in their stories, they were posting logos. So first they posted a candle with what looked like uh, almost a feather symbol inside of it. And they posted it along with the description clarity. So it's kind of looked like a spirit card. If you've ever seen spirit decks where it's an image and then down in the corner, you have this sort of text that says like what it means. Got it. Okay. So candle one clarity. And then they posted a water droplet with, it looked like a hand symbol in it, um, water to courage. And then a sort of sun shape, again, with this kind of handprint symbol in it. Number three, devotion. Oh, no, never mind. Hand came before sun. Hand was the third, and it was sacrifice. And then sun was the fourth, and it was devotion. So these symbols start popping out. And then suddenly you refresh the website and they have a new logo with all these symbols around Mm. it. And then suddenly you have a fucking post that is just return with this angel picture. And then it all became real. And then it all became real. And then you're like, oh, fuck, return for fucking real return. And that was the announcement of their shrine show. And it, yeah, it just kind of rolled out really fucking fast. Like this gradual, like every 10 minutes they were posting something new and we were watching it like, oh my God, oh my fucking God, what is happening? And we had been burned in the past. (laughs) Oh, we were burned hard. And what was that? 2016, I think it was. I was, I remember driving home from the APMAs and it all happened while I was driving. That was like, I don't know, three and a half hour drive. And I was like, of course this would happen. This is when this would happen. And then it turned out that it wasn't that anyways. <laughs> yeah, and what really sucked about that is that I knew it was going to be like a 10th anniversary release before right. they teased it. Yeah. So then they teased it and the whole internet was freaking out. And I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't calm them down. I couldn't tell them what it was, so I was just like, hey, guys, remember that the Black Parade came out 10 years ago? <laughs> right, like, try to drop some sort of contextual hint that it's like, yeah. you know, don't don't get your hopes up too high, which yeah, is so yeah. difficult to... And we're really, really shocked about that response. I remember in the aftermath of that, they were like, wow, like, thank you for the support. We but didn't they had like... to have No, I mean, it was the perfect teaser. Are you kidding me? Like, they, they, they totally, Warner knew exactly what the fuck they were doing with that shit. <laughs> that, was the, that was the perfect storm, and then the ultimate letdown. <laughs> okay, yeah. so Comeback Show was announced that day. Everything, I remember being in our office right now, and everything snowballed so fast. Like, it, 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 like you said, like every 10 minutes, those 10 minutes felt like a minute apiece. And they were just, it was just coming and coming and coming. And then we get the announcement and there are instantly fan theories everywhere galore. And that's when I kind of checked out at that point. Cause I was just like, <laughs> okay, there's a show. I have so much else I need to do in my life. <laughs> I don't have time for this. 
Cassie and the army will figure it out and I'll find <laughs> out whenever I do. Oh my show. god, like as we're speaking literally right now, they they announced a fourth show at the Shrine or not the Shrine, the Forum in LA. Did they sell it uh, out? And they just sold it out, yeah. Oh no, my god. That is let's just okay, quick breaking news note to scene sidebar. That's four fucking shows at the Shrine in LA all sold out. <laughs> that is un uh, real a matter of minutes too because all three of them yesterday sold out within minutes right because i saw the whole report of the entire tour selling out at that point and i think at that point when that came out there was only two la dates and i believe it was like 280 something thousand like 288,600 tickets or something like that so yeah. at this point <laughs> it's over 290,000 easy that's ridiculous Please. And like going back to them just being like, I, I didn't know, I didn't know it do be this way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if this world, our our world, will never see another moment like this. I'm it's crazy. Truly man. convinced that historically speaking, this is the only time it will ever we will ever see a moment like this. That's crazy. I the the wild thing is like I still feel. Like, deep in my heart, like, they're, like, oh, like, my little band, our little band. Our like little, our little, like, screamo-y band from 2002. <laughs> and then fucking this happens, and you're like, what? <laughs> Even those, what, UK shows? 90,000 tickets? All three of them sold out. 90,000 90, fucking tickets. Just over yeah. there. It's unreal when you take when you when you zoom out and you see the scope that this entire comeback has had regardless of any, you know, ticket fiasco and all that kind of stuff, the demand is obviously there. It's massive. It's crazy. It's wild to see. But okay, so back to the comeback show. It's happening on December 20th. So mm -hmm. I want to unpack that timeline in between that announcement and the show because they were still announcing other things such as like Download Festival and I think there was maybe another festival that, that they announced in between there and definitely some shows over, overseas, right? Yeah. So the first things that they announced were um, Download Japan and Australia. I think I'm trying to, I'm because I'm kind of like, that's so far away that I don't, I don't even. <laughs> right. Like so much has happened. You don't even remember what it was two months ago. Right. Exactly. But in the fan world between then. Uh, well, that night that they were announcing stuff, people were like digging into the code on their website right. and they're finding the name Merlin everywhere. And so everyone's like, fucking Merlin. So there are like Arthurian theories. Like some people have theories about like the Kabbalah. Like some people are like Jesus. bringing up like other fucking like, then, it's nuts. Like things just got like crazy. And um, that's, that's when I, you know, got off of Twitter and went and ate dinner. <laughs> 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 it, it was time for me to step away so so yes oh. the fan theories ran completely wild they had announced uh download fest and a couple other a couple other shows before we dive into anything after that i want to unpack the comeback show itself the okay. day before there's there's we could do an entire episode just about that show <laughs> but the day before i think 
I don't exactly know when their first public sighting was, but I like to think that their per- first public sighting was when they were out in the line of people the night before handing out blankets and stuff. Is that right? Or were they spotted sometime before then? Um, they had been, like, spotted by, like, super fucking creepy things. <laughs> okay, sure. Like, like the, you know, Hollywood gossip blog type level shit. There's, like, a picture. There was this weird overhead picture that emerged of Gerard walking in the venue like i don't even know who fucking took this picture but it was like gerard and then um worm and medi who are security for the band. oh my god someone <laughs> someone flew in like an ant-sized drone and they were yeah. just following him around that's exactly what fucking happened literally literally it looks like that it's nuts that's but wild but the, as far as like their first uh, willing public appearance. That's what I like to think it was. Yeah, and also to note, like, the demand, this show sold out in seven minutes. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they made, it was the highest grossing show in the venue's history. I think it did, what, 1.5 million or something around there? Something like that. I remember reading that article. Yeah, which, again, insane. The demand is just ridiculous. Do you know how early it was that fans started lining up outside? I believe it was the Tuesday before the show, and the show was on, uh, was it Friday? Oh my god. Yeah, and most of them, I think, or a couple of them at least, were international. I know one of the girls is French, but yeah, like a lot of people... three days before, like three days in line. Yeah, and these weren't, like, people who lived in L.A. Like, they were people who traveled in and started camping. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess, shit, you save on hotel rooms when you're just going to camp outside the venue. (laughs) Right? I think that's what I'm going to do in the U.K., man. (laughs) Do it. No cap, I think I am. (laughs) So let's let's fast forward then to the to the day before the show they come out they're in line the line has to be massive at this point right like there's so many people there just the day before yeah so the day before they start setting up these uh like trailers outside the line yes i saw the trailer pictures yeah and everyone's like what the fuck is this and they have new symbols on them new symbols tyler so that's that's exactly what we needed at this point was new symbols (laughs) yeah right exactly so like kids are taking pictures in line like what the fuck is this what the fuck is this and it's like it has a sword a moon a tower and a wand on it and it says my chemical romance and these fucking like fleeky ass fucking gold letters and they start opening the shit up and you realize it's a merch truck that they're Damn. setting up at the line the day before uh-huh because they know shit's gonna get real oh yeah yeah so they there's that that was happening during the day the day before and then at night, they start doing sound check, and kids are obviously crowding around, you know, the the most thin walls they can find. <laughs> totally, totally. And, yeah, so they do, like, a full sound check. They played this song that's super fucking rare from this EP that you got if you order the deluxe edition of Danger Days. No by way. A fictional, yeah, by a fictional band, Tyler, called The Mad Gear and Missile Kid. I know absolutely nothing about that. What's the song called? <laughs> it's called Mastas of Ravencroft. Mastas spelled M-A-S-T-A-S. Okay. So what does that song sound like? Oh my God, Tyler. Oof. So in addition to looking up Blood Nun, you now need to look... <laughs> 
Mad Gear, the Mad Gear and Missile Kid. I'm in. I'm so in. I love so that type Mad of Gear shit. So Mad Gear and Missile Kid uh, were an imagining from the band of what the Killjoys would listen to out in the desert in their car. Of course they did this, that. Why wouldn't they do that? Right. And it's this gritty, nasty, punk, like fast fucking punk band. Okay, I'm in. I'm so in. I love when my Chemical Romance memories go cross punk, gritty, slimy, anything. Yeah. <laughs> You're you're gonna love it. Like this this EP is nuts, and it's just full. Like when they were sound checking it, kids were like streaming it, and it was like ho- holy fucking hold on, hold up. What like oh, that is right? Exactly. Of course they would do that. And the other wild thing was that they played one of the songs from Conventional Weapons called "Make Room." Interesting. Okay. And that's, you know, the first time that we heard that, it was when kids were streaming it and we were like, what? What is happening inside this show right now? Like, what are these guys playing? What are they doing? Like, <laughs> that That's so crazy. I'm, I mean, it's so cool. One of the things that I've loved about My Chemical Romance's sentiment of this whole kind of return thing is that they don't disregard their past material, whether it's bullets or some super obscure thing that they did, like the free EP Danger Days thing. I love that shit. But there's so many bands from our world that don't even want to acknowledge that their early shit happened. You know, and and I've packed that a, a lot so far on the show's comeback of of the both sides of it, of how it's understanding how people grow up and change. But that music meant so much to so many people. And it's it's refreshing to see My Chemical Romance, the biggest band to come out of to come out of emo, acknowledge Bullets, their very first, you know, full length album and 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 not be like oh no that shit sucks we don't want to touch it we don't even want to acknowledge that it happened i think that is super super cool of them to do no man this is a band that has worn their own fucking shirts on stage because they believe in their music that much let's go i'm all for it let's fucking go yeah and shortly after the breakup gerard actually went through album by album and just wrote what he thought of certain songs and he was stoked on all of them you know like it's this band fucking believes in itself. And I think that that transfers over to their fans believing in them so much, you know? Totally, totally. I think there's an absolute correlation to that. And we talk a lot about how bands grow up and how they evolve. And MCR has absolutely grown up and evolved. And who knows what they are now, because we don't exactly know. But even just from Bullets to Danger Days, and the fact that they're still about what they did when they were fucking kids is so cool to see. But Mm -hmm. so to get it back to the comeback show day of, we saw a lot of the line and rock sound did a fantastic job all day long of interviewing kids and setting the scene for everything and doing their doing their live stream during the show. What was it like for you as someone who unfortunately didn't get to go, but lived through that vicariously through Twitter and every avenue of the Internet that you could get to? Oh, man. Okay, so I had gone through um, the accounts of all the people who were, like, first in line and, like, Shadow followed them and was uh-huh. stalking all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had them all on alert, so oh I was my watching. Gosh. 
I was watching the whole day as if I were there. I actually got out my own little soft MCR blanket and sat on the fucking ground and <laughs> watched this all happen to feel like I was a part of it. Uh-huh. That's awesome. <laughs> and yeah, it was all that same stress that, and I don't know if you've ever like camped out or lined up super early for a show. I have not. There is this unbelievable tension all day that something is going to go wrong. Oh, God. Even no matter how organized and no matter how well thought out and planned and no matter what measures the venue has in place, there's always this thing like, oh, God, um, we're not going to get in the door. Like, we're going to, especially if you are gunning for front row. Like, if you're in line that early, you're going for front row. My girlfriend has stayed out quite a few times at shows, and she's told me so many stories of her camping out and her experiences through it, and it just, it's such a foreign world to me, but, like, I love that that energy exists from our world. Yeah, it's it's crazy. There's really nothing like it, and it's the same feeling every time, and thank fucking God I'm on anxiety meds, man. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah so i was you know watching them all interacting like people were making art people were singing people were you know just like hanging out and it was kind of like a big family reunion which is super cool Mm -hmm. people were showing up in costumes from every era there were killjoys there were fucking demolition lovers like it was all everything everyone was coming back and it's it felt like the same the same as it was like they never went away. Right, exactly. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, they open up the merch trucks outside oh, the line God. at 11 a.m. And here's the wild thing is there were like a thousand kids in line who had camped. Like I think there were like 600 at least the night before. Uh-huh. And at that point, like you're not getting front row, y'all. Like why are you camping? Right, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, people just wanted to be there, which is... Yeah, just being part of the experience of camping out at an MCR show in 2019. Yeah, so they opened up the merch trucks at 11. At one point, like, all the kids who were first in line got siphoned into a secondary line where basically they went through security, like, hours before doors, so everything was all ready for them. Got it. Uh, Okay. And there's always, well, not always, but there began to be a system at MCR shows where people numbered each other's hands as they got in line. Okay. So like one through 200 or whatever, like probably went through security and then they sort of started bringing people into that secure space. Got it. Uh, And at that point, dreams were shattered. They were very strict about the name on your ID being the name on your Axis account and your uh, credit card matching what was on file for your ticket account. No way. Yeah. So they turned people away? They turned people away straight up. No. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah. Straight up people got turned away. And uh, the one of the things is the scalpers were, the way that they were able to scalp the tickets was they would create like burner access accounts and basically give someone their login so that they could use the ticket. And those people got just shut down. What in the world? I did not hear anything about that. That is 
That's terrible. Yeah, it was it was rough. Like so we didn't, a lot we didn't of, have a to lot go through of... any of that back in the day. Like kind of no. like what you were saying towards the beginning of the episode. There was nothing like this back in the day. You go online, you mm. click the link, you buy your ticket, and you get in. That's it. Man, I even think like I was trying to think of how I used to get tickets, and didn't like grocery stores have Ticketmaster? Totally, like way way back in the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's like how my mom got me my taste of. T- my Taste of Chaos tickets in 2005. She fucking went to Kroger. <laughs> Shout out to Kroger and Taste of Chaos 2005. Holy shit. <laughs> what a different fucking world it was 15 years ago. Oh my god. Shout out to Taste of Chaos. But yeah, it was just the whole process has completely changed. And and completely changed everything for some things for the better and some things like this experience completely for the worse because as we'll unpack in a, in a little bit yesterday was a complete shit show I, I mean aside from that everyone seemed to get in fine like all of all of my front row warriors were front row a plus awesome. good job guys <laughs> awesome yeah so people get into the venue it's time I am sitting at this country bar here in New York where no one else goes in. It's my favorite bar ever. And <laughs> I am watching the live stream. I'm texting Matt. He's he's like, dude, I'm old. I don't know if I can stay up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but he he makes it. So, But there was this time period where it was like, I don't know if they're going to go on at like, I can't remember what time it was our time. I can't remember if it was 11 or midnight. I'm sure you do. But there was this time in between sets where it was like, I could feel the anticipation sitting in a bar with fucking Waylon Jennings playing in the background. Like, I was getting anxious. I can't imagine what it was like for you or anyone at the show. So unpack that for me. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, I felt like I was going to throw up the whole time. (laughs) And they're, like, playing just, like, jams on the house music. And this fucking... Okay, so they put up this drop curtain with this massive fucking angel picture on it. And from the streams where I'm watching, it looks... So the picture of the angel has its arms outstretched. And it fucking looks real. It looks like this giant fucking angel is reaching its hands out over this crowd. Jesus. And I, I'm just like, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, yeah. And it's just kind of like swaying, and it just looks surreal. Like this doesn't look like a real fucking thing that's happening. Right. And uh, you know the crowd, of course. When you're so excited for a band to go on and the lights flicker, like even oh. a little bit, you're like, ah! <laughs> it's, uh, everyone just starts losing it. Like, it's happening. It's literally the gift from the office. Oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so <clears throat> there's this insane amount of tension uh-huh. in the audience and in my heart (laughs) (laughs) and And, in this bar in new york that i'm sitting at alone (laughs) in this fucking country bar (laughs) and and then they start playing this intro Uh which they had played over the speakers the night before so some of the people had already heard it but like the fucking oh my god (sighs) tyler (laughs) (laughs) it's okay Talk, I have, talk me through I, it. 
Okay, I haven't listened to it in a hot minute, but as I recall, it starts with Dr. Death defying, saying, look alive, sunshine, and going through the Killjoys thing, and then you hear, like, fucking, like, zoom, zoom, like, uh-huh. all these sounds, and uh, it it just starts going through their history. So you get Dr. Death defying, you get a clip of fucking a heart monitor from the Black Parade, you get a snippet of their saddest fucking song, The Light Behind Your Eyes. Oh, you get... see, okay, quick sidebar. That's my favorite My Chemical Romance song. <laughs> oh, it that song breaks my heart. I can't, That song is too powerful. I can't listen to it. It, it is seriously on a different level. And that, it, that song it, is special in a different way, for sure. Yeah, it hits absolutely different. Um, so they roll and, through that. Yeah, and ultimately it ends with you like D and D. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> I almost stood up at the bar and just started like pacing around and saying it myself. <laughs> <laughs> but the cool thing is, is it you know it sounded so fucking crisp and like oh, yeah. real because they fucking redid it. They redid it. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Listen was that to even a story? Again. Like, were there headlines for that? I don't think so. That's ridiculous. Why is no one talking about that? My dude, go back, watch the video and listen to that speech and then watch the beginning of that set and listen to it. The audio is absolutely way too crisp, way too powerful to be from that recording. It's different i swear i didn't even think about it it never even crossed my mind to think that it that it would be different that's Uh, insane could you imagine being in there when they they re-recorded the dialogue oh my god (laughs) i would probably say something fucking stupid like approved (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it oh my god that's awesome that makes that even somehow even cooler yeah, and so obviously that's from the not okay video, and you hear I don't want to make it, I just wanna, and then and the curtain fucking drops, and it's my chemical romance, and they're fucking actually back. <laughs> the the moment that literally everyone waited for. I don't know if emo has ever seen a more important or tension relieving or just grand event than when that curtain dropped. Tyler. I, I just, like, I, you, if you listened close enough, you could, like, just hear the screams of emo literally everywhere across the world at that moment. The whole fucking world. And... Well, it, it was... So, it, even to just to experience that the way you did, the way I did, the way Matt did, the way all of our friends did, no one that in, that I mentioned had was was there to experience it in person and we felt it like deep in our souls i can't even imagine what that room was like at that moment oh god okay i have to shout out at this point fans throughout the day all the front row people and some other people in line had been organizing to stream songs so they i can't remember exactly which account it was but they were like Okay, follow this account for the first two songs stream. Follow this account for the second two songs. Follow this account for the third two songs. And then that all kind of fucking crumbled. So I had them all on alerts and was looking at their stories. And 
on backup for like all of them was this account called Diet Shampoo. So Diet Shampoo is this girl who is a cosplayer. She's like super fucking talented and super fucking pretty. And like she does these like really dope looks. And she has chef's kiss fucking the best connection in the world. Diet Shampoo. How how many followers do you think she got that day? Like 10,000. That is unreal. Oh my God. I I don't know. I don't recall what streams I was watching. I was bouncing back and forth between so many of them. Um, but I'm sure I came across that one at some point, but that's awesome. It's, it's, it's cool to see a fandom from emo be able to exist in 2019 and mobilize like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was like an army, but Diet Shampoo came through. There were memes of her face everywhere as, like, our new savior. And, like, she's, like, like a list of the most important members of MCR. Number one's Diet Shampoo. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's great. So, yeah, I watched the entire show through this girl's fucking phone. <laughs> And it was amazing because I felt like I was fucking there standing beside her. I'm so glad the people that did were able to find that stream had it. I mean, there's so much that we could unpack about the show, but we, af- after the show happens, it's already, so that was December 20th, right? Is that when the show happened? Yeah, December 20th. Today, we're recording on Saturday, February 1st. So it really hasn't even been a month and a half. I mean, I guess a month and a half at this point, almost. A lot has happened in in that time. So we've had countless teaser photos, so many UK shows, Gerard posts, so much to unpack. But we do know the end result, which was the tour announcement. So I, there were a couple notes that you wanted to make kind of specifically on the UK shows and buying tickets to those and what that experience was like and a couple other things. So unpack what you want to through that time period. Well, now looking back on it with perspective on buying tickets. Uh, On these? Yeah. Yeah, for the U.S. shows, this shit was easy peasy, pumpkin peasy, pumpkin pie, motherfucker. (laughs) Like, oh my God. So how were the UK ones different? Because you're the only one I've talked to who had an experience of buying them. Well, first of all, there wasn't a fucking monopoly on where they were being sold. Sure. Okay. First of all, they offered two links. So they offered, I believe, gigs and tours and Ticketmaster UK. And there's also this third-party service called Sea uh, Tickets. And when you went on and you refreshed, like it sent you to like, oh shit, our website's overwhelmed. But you could continue refreshing. So you weren't put in like a random queue. Got it. So I tried for the first show and on the low, I had heard that they were going to open up a second show. Okay. Um, But so I tried for the first show and it sold out before I got anything at all. But for the second show, like obviously I have alerts on for these motherfuckers. Like I know the second they're doing something. Uh So the second they opened up the second show, I went to see tickets which seemed to be the one that had the least amount of traffic. And I got the VIP standing ticket for that. So let me put it into perspective. Overall, with the VIP tickets, there were 200 for each show. Mm-hmm. 200 out of 30,000. Right. And ultimately, 600 out of 90,000. Right. And I, I 
managed to get one of those. Hell fucking yeah, you did, Cassie. You deserve those. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I... Going into it, I was like, okay, I wasn't too upset that I didn't get the first show. Because I was like, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. This is going to cost me a fucking million dollars. Uh-huh. Like, if I can get a VIP ticket, I'll go. And I did. And I feel like the universe was like, okay, bitch, you're going. <laughs> you're fucking going. <laughs> you're fucking going. Ever since I was, I think, probably like 16, I had been a fan for a while, but at that point I'd heard them talk about how much they love the UK and how the UK is a very special place to them. I had started kind of building this fantasy in my head, like, one day I'm going to go see them in the UK. And now is the time. Now is the time, Tyler Sharp. Now is the fucking time. That's so dope. Have you ever been there to the UK? Yes, once. I'm not as scared as I should be. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be the experience of your lifetime, I'm sure. And I managed to get tickets to the first show as well that are really good seats. Awesome. Second show, I'm going to camp out directly after the first show and get my get my ass to that barricade let's go barricade warrior cassie witt i love to i love to see who's the what barricade warrior survived as adults (laughs) it's it's your girl i I still do it for taking back sunday oh hell yes yeah taking back sunday is like maybe my my second favorite band and i always line up in the morning and fucking get front row i don't give a shit that's awesome because i know that uh, you know, I, I found a picture, a screenshot of Matt at a Chiodo set at Warp Tour in like 2009 on the barricade. Oh my god. <laughs> on the oh. fucking barricade. And that's how I was for Under Oath every time I saw him. Barricade Warrior. And I'll still be that way. But, um, okay, a couple other things I want back about these. The UK Tour teaser chant. I didn't even know anything about this. Apparently... According to you, Ray Toro composed it, and Gerard sings the chant. These dudes have been in the fucking studio, especially if they re-recorded the intro to the I'm Not Okay video. So, what is that? What is Gerard saying? But before the shows were announced, we got more teasers, and we got those tower, sword, wand, um, moon symbols spliced into a video that announced the uk tour basically they took the witch's alphabet and they spelled out june june mmk june mmx um and they're calling it mcrmk for the milton Keynes shows which are the uk shows so three stadium shows they fucking sold out ridiculous (laughs) Um, and in those videos they also led up to this teaser that is a group of cloaked figures basically running through the woods and doing this summoning ritual. They hadn't exactly explained the concept, and at first people thought that it was for people representing the band, like the band where the people in cloaks. But the director, yeah, the director posted something like summoning my chemical romance back. So now we know that the video is about these people, you know, summoning MCR. So that was the UK tour announced video. And throughout it, you hear this just like really sort of gentle and then building to being frantic music um, that was composed by Ray Toro and their um keyboardist now whose name is jamie and i can't exactly i don't exactly know how to pronounce his last name but i think it's mahoborek okay mahoborek 
And yeah, so they compose this music and then toward the end of the video, you start hearing this chant underneath everything. And it's, it's not like words, English words at least. And then you hear it growing and growing and it's like, and you just hear it over and over and over. And at eventually people sort of went in and they tried to figure it out. Like, does this mean anything? And Ase Ase in, I forget which, Kurdish? Kurdish? Kurdish. Never even heard of it. <laughs> means a shadow of a shadow. Okay. And then later they dropped a t-shirt with this, the MCR sigil on it called the shadow shirt. So I think Ase Ase meaning shadow of a shadow could be right, but I don't know what Gia is. I don't think we figured that one out yet. Got you. Okay. Quick fast forward. I saw in the fray of everything yesterday, they posted some video with some sort of chant in it. Was that the chant as well? Yes. Okay. That So that was Gerard because I, I literally, I blasted it on my phone and I put it up next to my ear and I was like... I think this is the chant Cassie was talking about. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's that's Gerard. So, I so they that... use the same one in for both, uh, like tour announcements or, or yeah, show announcements. announcements. But the second one is like really sped up. Is it? So it's faster. Yeah, the UK one is like ase ase akia, and then the US one is like ase ase akia, ase ase akia. That's anxiety inducing. It is. <laughs> okay, so. I wanted to, I just wanted to make sure that I tied that into going into the tour announcement. So Oof. that day, the tour announcement, which doesn't even, it, it feels like a year ago at this point. No idea when it's coming. <laughs> right. That, January 29th. Yes, January 29th. So that day, did you know before they posted anything? Did you have any inkling whatsoever at the beginning of that day that it was going to be then? So what I did know is that the night before, um, they had posted a soundless clip of the video right. and said, please join us at noon at mychemicalromance.com or YouTube. Exactly. So that's all I knew. And going back a little bit, every the MC Army had dug up all of the people who produced the video and worked on the video. Like <laughs> of down course. To the- and one of them had posted a shot from the video of the kid inside the pentacle or witch's circle and said, hashtag music video life. So the fact that the clip was muted made a lot of people think, oh my God, it's a music video. Right. You know? It's for new music. Right. <laughs> Um, which, yeah, I, I knew it wasn't, I didn't know, I, I, I was pretty sure it was just the tour announcement video because they had set the precedent with the last one. Got it. Uh, Okay. But there is music in it composed by Ray and Jamie, and it's just modified versions of old songs. So when you step into the vampire club that's in the video i'm skipping ahead a little bit no, but go you for hear it. a modified sort of electro version of vampires will never hurt you ah okay yeah. interesting when you step into like the room with the cathedral like you hear a modification of helena got it 
Okay. I didn't even pick that up. I was, this week has been so crazy for everything outside of that and then MCR on top of it. I literally <laughs> didn't even watch the video till the day after the tour got announced. My God. So <laughs> I know. back to the way they opened the comeback show, they paid homage in this video to all of their eras. and Which the, is awesome. So cool. The fact that they're able to acknowledge, I know I keep going back to it, but the fact that they're able to acknowledge bullets and, and appreciate it and honor it for what it was, it's so fucking cool to me. Like, Under Oath doesn't even, I mean, they do now because they just made a shit ton of money off of it a couple years ago <laughs> all over again, but before that, they didn't even want to acknowledge that their only chasing safety happened, and that's such bullshit to me i get it you're the artist you can treat how your art the way you want it to but that record was so huge so impactful set the standard for so much of what that genre evolved into and you don't like it because you were kids and you you know wrote some immature lyrics or like fuck you <laughs> yeah come on you know it. so it, it again so cool that mcr is is taking their entire career and appreciating appreciating it and honoring it the way that you know it in a way that lifts it up and not puts it down is is really really cool to see fuck yeah and it's all fucking great music why would they not acknowledge it exactly totally <laughs> like like i said mcr is the kind of band to be like fuck yeah we are good <laughs> <laughs> they've always been that way like yeah this band fucking rules totally okay so leading into the the announcement, I think what was it, twelve oh five Eastern time? Yeah. So I they think, I think that's what it was. Um Yeah, the video is about five minutes long and then the end of the video are the dates like scrolling by on the screen. Right, exactly. So what was that like for you? Oh my god. Well, first of all, this fucking cinematic masterpiece. Masterpiece. We are all that fucking kid in that video. Totally. We are back. Totally. I, I have fucking lit candles and done that shit. I have absolutely done that. And you can see that, like, it's a part of this kid's routine. Like, he's not just waking up today and doing this. Right. Like, it wasn't his first time. I mean, literally, the, the fr yesterday morning, Friday morning, I walk out of my room, and Bob's got a candle lit, and she's got, like, her rocks, and she was, like, the only thing on her screen is the countdown to the ticket opening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had my, I had, like, a citrine and a spirit quartz sitting on my laptop as the ticket countdown was happening. <laughs> Like, there were no lights on or anything. It was just her, her laptop, the candle, and I don't know what the terms are for any of, you know, what the rocks were called, but I was just, like, I was hungover from the night before, and I was like, <laughs> I do not have the energy for this right now, and then the day just spiraled from there. But oh so, to, to unpack the video a little bit more, uh, kind of giving it the TL TRDL of it. So, the kid is summoning the band back. You'll see in his pentacle sort of circle that he has each of their albums at each point of right. the star. Yep. Which, by the way, was a Tumblr post some kid made, like, right after they broke up. That's what you were saying. It's so cool to see them reach back into the fandom and take from yeah. it. 
Yeah, that's literally what they did. And so he summons them. Basically, the MCR sigil is like fully revealed as something like real on the TV. His Ouija board that he's using spells out run. He goes to the door. He sees Draculoids, which were the bad guys from Killjoys at his door. And he starts this journey, like escaping them. He Uh goes. He goes through a red door with the candle on it, ends up in the, what is the representation of bullets, this like vampire like sex club. And you start seeing all these things in the background. In fact, you are, we're already seeing things in the background, like hinting, like little Easter eggs. Totally. In this one, you see sort of like a black parade sign. You see like a ghost of you helmet on the bar. In previous um, plays, there, were, there was a really nice little homage to people in their career who had passed away, like Lauren, who I spoke of earlier, and Craig Aronson, their A&R rep. Yep. Um, so these vampires are in this bar, and he's surrounded by them, and then the Draculoids come after him, and he's fucking, like, runs into this cathedral where he meets the demolition lovers from Revenge and Bullets, and they're there, and then fucking Helena comes dancing out. Helena! So, yeah, I think thought like when i was watching it i was like is that tracy phillips like right is that her like because she looks really similar and so do the demolition lovers people they're not the same people on the cover of um life on the murder scene right it is it's different but they look so similar they look so similar whoever cast this shit like a plus like they these people look very similar to those people um so yeah, Helena dances, you hear this like gorgeous sort of Helena reinterpretation and that sort of like quivering effect that's in Helena yep. is going on in the audio and fucking Draculoids come in. He runs through another door and ends up in the Trans Am from Danger Days and fucking the Trans Am fucking do- donut circles him and... <sighs> Like, it's it's nuts. And then, of course, the fucking Draculoids come. They're chasing him again. And he looks back at them and a door appears. And there's a fucking explosion. And he makes it through the door into the L.A. Forum where he's on the stage and just smiling because he summoned them back. They're back. They're fucking back. It's a wild ride of a video. And if you haven't watched it yet, I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, as someone who didn't wasn't part of the you know, rollout experience, but still went back and watched it after it, I wanted to get up and clap. (laughs) It was, it was done so, so well. So they dropped this video, they announced the tour, it's everywhere, you know, it's, it's all happiness at this point. But I, even I could tell from the, from the small amount that I was paying attention to the conversation on that day, that there was already anxiety about ticket day. And what yeah. you told me, because I didn't buy tickets, I didn't didn't even try, but I, you know, like I said, Rabob did, and she was on the phone with plenty of other people. You did. You had a whole ground network of, you know, people trying to get these tickets. It was a huge, huge event. But what you said on the call that we had the day in between the announcement and them going on sale is the unfortunate position that announcing a tour and then putting the tickets on sale two days later, that position that it puts fans in financially. Yeah, and I'm really fortunate in that 
as soon as I found out they were coming back and I actually believed it, I started working 50 plus hours a week. Oh my gosh. So you were saving up for it. Yeah, I've been saving and but if I didn't have help and if I weren't deferring my loans and if I weren't getting like medical benefits, I absolutely would not have the money to do this. So there are people who aren't getting any help who are actually living that life and a lot of them are my chemical romance fans and a lot of them are kids who weren't around when the band were active who have never had a chance to see them at all right and even if you are making money the type of money you need to figure out travel and ticket costs and everything within two days is in it's it's very it's a very hard position to put people in for sure definitely so who do you direct that blame towards as a fan I I really don't know. I don't know who's behind the timeline. I don't know who set up this mm-hmm. timeline. Because um, I think especially after the tickets went on sale, which we're just about to get into, people want to be pissed. And I think there's a lot of misdirected thoughts about the process of how everything works. And everyone at this point has a right to be mad about how everything kind of played out pretty much but they don't know where to direct it at, you know? It's just kind of being mad because nobody understands how the process works. Yeah, no one quite understands in addition to just, you know, being fucking a 20-something who, like, has to live in the world. It's not many people I know are making enough money to, like be able to kind of toss it out like that right to comfortably justify the 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 amounts that were floating around yesterday all right let's jump into it then so the tickets go on sale at noon eastern and i'm sorry i have to make you relive this cassie (laughs) okay i'll be fine you instantly get put into a queue. I have never experienced anything like this. I've never waited for tickets to go see anyone. I saw the only band who I ever would have been put in a line for, I guess, would be Brand New, and I only ever saw them at festivals, so I was ne- I never saw Brand New in a venue. But I remember friends telling me about what that process was like, and I know that this was incredibly unique because Rabab was telling me, I have been put in queues before, but I've never been shuffled around like this before. So explain to me the queue and what exactly happened when the clock struck noon yesterday. Okay, so I, my best friend and I had decided she was going to go for Detroit tickets because mm-hmm. she needed to get three of them and I could not afford to get three mm-hmm. <laughs> tickets. Um, and then I would go for Philadelphia because I, you know, I would get both of our tickets and then I'd just owe her whatever. So I did that. And then deep in my heart, I wanted to go to Toronto and maybe New Jersey. So I had New Jersey and Toronto open in Ticketmaster. Um, and then the Philadelphia show, which I think unfortunately was one of the most misguided, fucked up situations, decided to sell through their venue website instead of Ticketmaster. Okay. Okay. So there were a couple of those, I think. Yes. Um, So Ticketmaster has its queuing system. And I think like 
maybe three minutes before the queue was about to start, it popped up and was like, hey, give us your phone number. We need to verify that you're a human. So right I, of course yeah over and over i went through this process with them of putting in my phone number and having a code texted i think by the end of the day by the end of all of the bullshit i had gotten like 17 text messages from the number Jesus. of times i had to get back in the queue after things went wrong but so okay let me talk about philadelphia for a second because okay. philadelphia was through the venue website the second it went on sale i hit refresh and i got through and I grabbed, I hit GA Pitt, get tickets. And it sent me through to a page and then it sent me to an error page. It all crashed. Oh my gosh. And so I go back and I go to try again. I'm like screaming at this point and I'm in the office. So everyone's like, okay, I'm just going to walk away from her. Yeah. <laughs> so I go back because Philly is my primary focus. At this point, Ticketmaster has me in the queue for New Jersey and Toronto with 2,000 people in front of me. And I, you know, so those are just going, whatever. And I opened up a Detroit one as well to see if I could get in before my friend. And so I go back on Philly's website and then it's like, okay, you're in line and don't refresh your page, blah, blah, blah. And it gets me through again. I grab tickets again. It crashes again. And then it ha the same thing happens again. Or I'll get in the thing where it's like, don't refresh. And then suddenly it refreshes and the website's down. And this happens over and over and over for a fucking hour and a half. Meanwhile, I do get in on Ticketmaster to the Newark show in New Jersey. The first one, they announced a second one eventually, but mm -hmm. by the time I got in, there were like the, <sighs> so I managed to get really good tickets in the closest section to the stage, but by the time I got there, they had already started the dynamic pro pricing and they were $688 for two tickets. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they were good seats, but I, I didn't have enough money. I texted my friend, Devin, and I was like, hey, I have these good seats for New Jersey. I have them. I need to act in five minutes. Let me know if you can swing fucking $340. Right. And she's like, I, I can't. And I was like, you know what? I fucking can't either. So I just like, I just closed out of New Jersey. I was like, <sighs> done i'm i'm not even gonna go back on this i have to deal with this philly thing yeah and so i get through on philly again and i almost get to the cart and i have pit again i have fucking pit and it i go to buy it and it doesn't let me get to the cart it doesn't let me get to the cart. I, yeah, basically the site was down for an hour and 20 minutes. People were messaging me saying like, call the venue, they'll put you in a queue on the phone. And I'm like, I, ugh. So I kept at it because I had like fucking faith for uh -huh. some reason. <laughs> um, I never got through to Toronto, just never did. <laughs> never even got, yeah, never even got never in the front door. Got there. Um, my friend got through to Detroit and she got us nosebleeds for $450. Jesus. And I eventually got through to Philly and got us uh, basically, like, they're not great tickets. They're not great tickets and I paid you know, like $200 for them. And Pitt was originally like 175 Jesus. Because I remember getting through on the Philly site with the fucking Pitt tickets and they were like 
you know, 300 total. So, so those were, that was it, right? So that was, those were all the ones that you tried for in the U.S.? Yep. So that was it. After like all the shit show, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy. I'm going to see them in Detroit and I'm going to see them in Philadelphia with my best friend. Like that's what matters. And you're going to the U.K. And I'm going to the U.K. And then, and then Riot Fest started realizing like what was going on (laughs) and sort of our sentiment about it being like, okay, I guess I'm going to fucking Riot Fest. Exactly. Exactly. That became the meme yesterday. And I loved that because Riot Fest is literally my favorite festival I've ever been to. I haven't gone in a couple years, but, um, I went, there was a good like three or four year run, uh, towards the early like 2010s where I went and I just saw so many bands and it didn't matter. Like there was a couple year where it rained all day long and it trashed the entire festival grounds. Didn't even matter. Like the food is so fucking good. They get so many bands that you can go see and the way that it's laid out, I highly recommend Riot Fest to anyone who has or hasn't gone yet. So I can't, can't be too like bitter about it because I did get a chance and I was fortunate enough to be able to save money and was able to actually buy these ridiculous tickets. (laughs) Exactly. But for the kids who literally didn't have the means to, even if they got an opportunity to, I saw so many tweets of kids who were able to look at tickets and literally just couldn't buy them. How does this not happen again? I don't know what the solution is. Uh, It is... Because it seems like things like this are only getting worse across all genres. You know, like, there were so many kids yesterday that got Ticketmaster trending on Twitter because they were worried about BTS and when their tickets go on sale. And they were so terrified after they saw what happened with MCR tickets that they couldn't stop tweeting at Ticketmaster. And they were like, if this is going to be as bad of a shit show as this, then we're going to riot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the way that I went about when they first announced the comeback show was being was being sold on Axis. They were talking about that fucking waiting room thing. So I went and I watched a bunch of fucking K-pop stands giving advice about getting tickets. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like K-pop stands and MCR fans could get together and take over the goddamn world. I was talking to Rabab about that yesterday, about how there was so much crossover and conversation between like the BTS stands and everyone trying to get MCR tickets. And I almost wondered how much of you know, BTS, how much, how many K-pop fans were seeing My Chemical Romance for the first time and listening to them off a whim that they might think that they're like a K-pop band. <laughs> <laughs> and I wondered how much, I'm sure it was pretty insignificant, but there, there, I guarantee there were a couple K-pop stands yesterday who saw MCR for the first time, their name, and listened to them and were like, okay, I'm down. Yeah, no, it's definitely someone tweeted like, hey, BTS fans and MCR fans, let's get together and fucking burn Ticketmaster to the ground. Oh my god, (laughs) right? Like, that was the sentiment at the end of the day. And it felt like, you know, I think they tweeted out that all the dates had sold out, except for, like, the two LA shows that they had yet to announce. Everyone just kind of, regardless of if you were just unbelievably pissed off and stressed out, just took a breather, and you can kind of collectively hear it around the entire world of, what the hell just happened? Someone used the word bamboozled. Bamboozled. <laughs> Damn. Shout out to bamboozle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to bamboozle. <laughs> I wonder if that'll ever come back and MCR can play that and maybe we won't have a shit show. 
gobsmacked, just fucking blown over. I remember after it was all done, just kind of sitting at my desk. I like had my cloak because of course I bought a fucking cloak. Of course. (laughs) I put like up the hood on my cloak and I just kind of wrapped myself in it and was like, (sighs) like it, I've never experienced anything like this before. It's like you forgot to breathe for a couple hours. Yeah. And it's, it's just so broken. And I don't, I think the most frustrating thing is that I can sit and I can whine about it, but I don't know how to fix it. Exactly. And I I don't think, I have not seen a solution from anyone, you know, proposing anything, because I don't think that people actually know how it works. There's so many different takes about how, no, you're wrong. No, this is how it works. No, this is how it works. You know, like I know what Ticketmaster says on their website about how prices and fees are set and that's it. And they have something called dynamic pricing, which they literally compare. They they try to justify it by comparing it to to hotel and airline prices on their website. Um, (laughs) But they say that, you know, prices are set through a relationship that they have with their clients and that dynamic pricing offer is also set up through a relationship with their clients. So I don't know exactly what the conversation was like, obviously, between MCR's team, MCR, MCR's team, and Ticketmaster. But at at the very least, the band has to realize that going about this the next time, whenever that is, there, there has to be some sort of different rollout. Right. And I, you know, I don't know what that would look like. I was thinking, you know, uh, funneling, you know, a blast to certain people who had, for instance, bought like merch on their site, because obviously they have all those emails and just funneling just to those people like, hey, you get first shot on this, but then that's discounting someone who may have never had the means to buy their merch, you know? I I really don't know the solution because the queuing thing, if it weren't a random lottery, would make sense. It, it, it in theory that does make sense. I think that I'm I I just really don't know how like something with like a code that someone's given to put them in a certain a certain waiting room because they do have to deal with the traffic and I can understand. Mm-hmm using the waiting room for traffic, but I, I just don't know how it would work. Right. And the dynamic pricing, I can see how Ticketmaster would think that's a good thing. <laughs> if a show does not have demand, right. that would be a good thing for fans. Right. If the tickets went down in price. But for something like this, the tickets are always going to go up in price. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, And even if you do that, like the dynamic pricing in and of itself is pretty fucked. But Yeah, I don't I don't think it needs to fucking exist at all. Right. I mean it's obviously just a ploy to uh squeeze as much money as possible as they can out of tickets. But there has to be some sort of middle ground between because at the end of the day, I don't want to leave it up to Ticketmaster to determine what is demanded and what is not before it even happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want... If you had gone to some of the venue websites, 
before the sale, they had tickets for sale that they had already predetermined as being $700 tickets. That's what Rabob was showing me on some of these websites, like the resale websites or whatever. And they were live before noon yesterday. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was, you would, yeah, it was the venue websites. They had already decided these are our premium tickets, which, you know, whatever it is, like a fucking ticket with a pass to their fucking beer garden i don't know jesus that's bullshit right it it was like we've said a couple times now never seen anything like that i am obviously anything that it comes to with with fans of the band don't wish that on absolutely anyone emo asserting itself in a conversation like this in 2020 i hope it can bring about some sort of change you know like if MCR could somehow, this whole thing, set an example of what not to happen in this world, let's fucking go. Because we need some sort of solution. And if MCR can be the solution to it as an example moving forward, that's awesome. So, all of that aside, I, <laughs> before we close the ultimate My Chemical Romance Note to Scene episode, oh, I want to look to the future. Oh, God. I want to we- get your, your, I want to get two things your brief prediction of what's of what the future holds for my chemical romance and then because it's note to scene i want the potential first week sales for an imaginative fifth my chemical romance album (laughs) all right so 2020 i don't think we're gonna see any new music right period none i think that if MCR are paying homage to their past and they're really following their patterns, we also, here's something, I don't know that they're going to do press. That's an interesting take. Because, I mean, they obviously don't need to. It's like the brand no. new. Uh... And if they do do press, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think that they're going to, hmm, hmm. I mean, I don't I, think any band wants to do press. No. <laughs> I think next year you'll start hearing from them more around next year, 2021, around spring. Around spring? Okay. Perhaps might get an inkling that they're working on new stuff then. Okay. And I think over the summer you might see them on some festivals again. Uh Uh-huh. And fall, summer into fall, if they have done anything musically that's when it's gonna start creeping out okay so so either like a q3 or q4 release for a my chemical romance album in 2021 if if it were to happen right it would have it would drop in the fall okay you heard it here first everyone (laughs) and that's me talking absolutely out of my ass totally (laughs) totally 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 this is pure speculation we have no idea but i mean literally being like what did they do for the black parade let's say they'll do that (laughs) exactly yeah let's let's use the past to determine the future okay if that happens if the album happens and that's when it happens first week (laughs) so let me let me give a rundown and i'm I'm doing this off the top of my head because i didn't put these in the in the notes for this episode but we we recounted the their first week on I can't remember what episode, but it was one episode from the comeback. But 
Three Cheers, I believe, did 48,000. Black Parade did 240-something thousand. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's the second biggest emo first week of all time, right behind uh, Infinity on High. It went on to outsell Infinity on High and big be the biggest uh, emo album of all time. Um, and Danger Days, I believe, did 110 or 120,000. Can't remember off the top of my head again, but that gives you a bit of a range of where they were uh, throughout their career and then up to the end 10 years ago from their last album. Obviously, everything, nothing is the same as it was 10 years ago when My Chemical Romance put out their last album. Streaming has changed everything. You now have ticket bundles. You have... I mean, you have you had double counting and triple counting back then, but it was in a different way. And you still have kind of those same tricks, but I mean, it is pedal through the fucking floor now where you're basically quadruple counting download cards with vinyl and uh, cassettes and you name it. You're going to try and count it. If MCR put out an album in 2021 or shit, 2022, what does it do first week, Cassie? I, okay, so... Uh, caveat i don't i'm like not a numbers person and i've never really even thought of mcr's numbers uh-huh. but i looked up the last numbers that panic at the disco did okay and I interesting double them double so, them <laughs> double, double them. them cassie so, is ready to go the number i have written down is three hundred thousand. Oh my god can you imagine could you imagine a My Chemical Romance comeback a year and a half from now and they do fucking 300,000? I mean, that literally puts them in the tier of the biggest artists in the U.S. when it comes to first week sales. Um, I mean, the, the new Post Malone record that just came out didn't even break 500,000. Uh, the new Jonas, the Jonas Brothers comeback album was in the 400,000 range. I mean, it literally puts them there. The biggest rock first week of 2019 was Tool, and I believe that did 288,000, I believe. Now, Shit, I'm gonna up it to, to fucking 350,000, because I believe in this band. 350,000. Here's, I don't disagree with you on that number, but that's only if they go all out. They would need to announce a tour to go with the album, and they would have to bundle the fuck out of it. So tour bundling is when the artist will announce a tour when they have a pre-order up, and you have an option to... You give the fan who's buying a ticket an option to claim a copy of the album, and then they include that into the ticket price. So, but the only caveat to that is the fan that's buying the ticket has to claim the album for it to count. So if they don't select that option when they're buying the ticket, it doesn't count as a sale. So they would have to go all out in that regard. Tool did not, for whatever reason. The last Bring Me The Horizon album, they did not, for whatever fucking reason. I know that Bring Me record could have done like 60,000 if they just would have bundled the fuck out of it. Anyways, they would need to double and triple count everything and honestly, I have no fucking idea how My Chemical Romance is going to stream now. Like, they literally have over 8 million monthly listeners on Spotify right now, and it's purely based off of that catalog. <laughs> All of this bundling and everything is completely not even associated with what the music is going to sound like. 
My Chemical Romance had Hot 100 hits back in the day. Like, those songs were radio hits. I have no idea what this record is going to sound like, and if they're even going to try... I mean, for a band this big, for this much money and backing to be behind it, there is going to be some sort of commercial push. I don't know how much of it there will be. I guarantee that these songs will be sent to rock radio. Uh, Who knows if they'll get sent to alt radio. I don't know if they're going to go more for, you know, the 21 Pilots Fall Out Boy comeback push, which made those two bands bigger than they ever were before they broke up. It's going to be so interesting to look at. If they bundle the fuck out of it, if they stream like fucking crazy, I think you're, you're close. I think they end up right around 300,000 plus. If they don't, and they don't tour bundle, and they don't really go all out on streaming and, and double counting and triple counting, I would hope, I would hope, hope, hope that they could break 100,000. For example, the last Green Day album, Revolution Radio, I believe did 98,000. The Blink-182 album that just came out, I believe did somewhere in the high 80s or low 90s. You brought up Panic, which, if they take that route, who knows? Like, the ceiling is the fucking limit. I have no idea what this new, the next Panic of the Disco record is going to do, because he, he has catapulted himself beyond the heights that he has ever been before, and somehow he has currently made Panic of the Disco bigger than they've ever been before. And the last Panic record, I believe, did what, like 175 or something, or maybe a little lower than that, 150 or 160? Yeah, I think the number I saw was 190, but I could be wrong. Okay, it was it was 190 when you include streaming. I'm still going off just traditional sales. Um, so, I mean, shit. A, a new Panic record could do, like, well into the 200s, which is fucking insane in 2020. But it, it's it's going to be a wild beast. Like we said, they have major label money behind this, and they... they it's time to go. Like, let's make My Chemical Romance fucking superstars as grown-ass guys. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Like, let's make this as big as it possibly can fucking be. That's pretty much where I end up every episode on this show. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's take over the world. <laughs> let's fucking go. All right, Cassie. This has been probably the longest talk note to scene has ever had and probably the <laughs> longest episode that it will ever have. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else that you think we should talk about? Oh, man. I don't know. I think that in regards to all that you just said, MCR are always going to do whatever they want to do. Yes. And it's going to be done their way, whatever they choose to do. And that's going to resonate with the fans. So even if no one else in the world gets it, we still have our little family. That's it. And that family is fucking massive. (laughs) (laughs) as we've seen over the last couple weeks let alone the last two days thank you so much for coming on cassie i've shot a out a couple times but you are definitely the source that i send anyone to when they want to know about the band so i definitely appreciate you as a presence on the internet oh thank you tyler i appreciate you as a presence <laughs> on the fucking internet too <laughs> i just I piss people off on so many levels young tyler <laughs> 
I mean, for listeners' context, like I said at the beginning of the show, Cassie got me a job at Alt Press. I literally messaged her on Facebook uh, one day, and I was just asking for advice of where she thought I should go after I had just left the one blog that I was at called Mind Equals Blown. And she was like, why don't you just send your resume in to me? And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) And then it all worked out after that. And then that's how I met Matt. And fast forward, now we're here. So, listeners, thank you for sitting through this episode. I really appreciate it. Next week, depends on what news we'll have, but we might be back to our regular news schedule or we'll, you know, dive down a scene rabbit hole. We'll see what happens. But if you have any questions, anything that you want Cassie to answer, please write in at uh, notetoscene at gmail.com and I'll happily address them on the show. But thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week. 